Good morning, church. Good morning. Shalom to all of you. It's such a joy to see all of you once again. You know, so much has been happening these few days. And actually, uh, yesterday we just yesterday was Pastor Mark's birthday. You know, so so it was really uh, he was working very hard because he had a wedding to do in the night. But speaking of birthdays, there's another very big birthday this week, which is the 58th National Birthday. All right. So in uh, view of the National Birthday, we usually have what is called the Day of His Power, a day that we come together to pray for the nations, various things, particularly for revival of the nation. So I want to remind you that uh, on Tuesday night, on Tuesday night, if you can come to church uh, starting from 8 to about, yes, about 10 o'clock, we'll be gathering here to pray, to bless this nation, to ask God to heal this nation and, you know, to do things that He wants to do in this nation, okay? So Tuesday night, please be here. Do come early because uh, we are actually among one of the different churches. Uh, so other churches, their members may also come here, right, for that particular prayer meeting. Now, uh, I also want to quickly mention that we have a concert that's coming and that is the, uh, uh, this, I always get the name wrong. Uh. Someone remind me, it's a Moonlight Under, not Moonlight Under Queenstown. Queenstown Under the Moonlight or something like this. What is it called? Uh? Moonlight Over Queenstown. Okay, uh, it's not Under Queenstown. Yes, of, of course. So, what is this concert about? Okay, you know, we have been thinking about how to reach the 80% of Singaporeans who are not yet Christians. And we discovered that a lot of these people, they don't normally want to come to church for, let's say, Christmas or Easter. They are not very Christian people. And the reason they don't like coming to church is not philosophical, it's not theological, it's not doctrinal. Most of the time, the problem is social and cultural. They just don't feel comfortable in church. So what we thought, okay, let's do something to help them step into church, right? Very soft evangelism so that they can see that, oh, okay, church is, you know, church is actually quite all right. Right? And so this event is an event to help all of us get our non-Christian friends, especially our non-Christian friends, to come to church. Right? So that after they've stepped in church one time, the next time you ask them to come for anything, they'll be like, okay, you know, the last time I went to church, I didn't die. Right? They didn't do anything bad to me. Right? And so I don't mind coming again. And this is to help us break the social and cultural barrier. So we have this concert. I'm not sure how many of you, and you seem like a rather sophisticated crowd, how many of you have been to candlelight concerts? You know, there's a concert known as candlelight concert. How many of you have been there? Okay, one. Maybe not as sophisticated as I thought. <laughs> okay, I fear. Anyway, those are wonderful, wonderful performances, right? Uh, string orchestra and all that. Well, we have a professional string orchestra. Uh, and normally this stuff goes for quite a lot, $35 and above, right, if you go outside. But we have this string orchestra, 21 piece, and they will be performing for us not Christian songs, all right? But anything to do with moon, moon river, uh, moon like, uh, you know, Bruno Mars, something on the moon. And of course, our all-time favorite, uh, you know, Yue Liang Tai Piao was the scene, right? The moon uh, represents my heart, right? So I think we will do this. They will get a chance to sing along. Can you please reach your parents, right? Your parents who are not Christians, who have not been to church, your uncle, aunties, your friends. By the way, this is not just a Chinese event, right? So on 21st and 22nd night, uh, we will be having quite a full-blown event. Uh, they'll get some dog gifts and marks and mooncake, of course. So please do that if you, if you will, all right? And later on, they'll get more information. A lot has been happening in church, not just these programs. God has been moving quite powerfully not just in our church, but in many churches 
in the first half of this year. It's amazing. We keep getting these testimonies that are coming in, you know, week by week, amazing things that have happened. And last week we heard uh, about how God has been bringing people to Christ, people who, you know, didn't intend to come to church but took the wrong bus and stopped outside of this. You know, when they stopped outside the bus stop, I thought, you know, there's so many churches they could go to, right? There are quite a few churches in this place. And there's one even that, that's called the true way. I mean, if you want to go to any way, you will go to the true way church, right? But somehow they came to the church of our Saviour and they got saved, right? So we were really excited. We heard about how there were two boys who were cycling from uh, Bukit Bato to East Coast, and we just happened to be a pit stop on the way. They stopped there to pump the tyre and instead they got their whole spiritual life pumped up. They came to the Lord, right? So amazing things have been happening. And actually, we also have other things, so many. So I'll tell you a few more. That every week we have a whole bunch of students from the Queensway Secondary School. I was reminded not to say Queenstown Secondary School. It's Queensway Secondary School. 50 students actually study here in our chapel. Right? We used to study in 308, but the numbers are growing. And these are all non-Christians. They come here to study, and our volunteers are there. They have some teachers who are our church members teaching the school who are also there. And what has happened is that these students who have been studying for quite a while, not, they are not all Chinese. I'll just leave it at that, right? And they have become curious. They are asking questions like, hey, why are you guys doing this? You know, some are asking, who is this Jesus? Some are even asking their own teachers, who, who is Jesus? Can you tell me about Jesus? Something is happening in our midst. Something exciting is happening in our midst. Just this last week, and I'm not telling you testimony from two years or three years ago, right? Just last week, you know, we, we had, actually uh, about a week ago, we had uh, someone who came to church. And this person was probably struggling with some mental health issues, right? And was you know, causing a bit of problem going around, sometimes, you know, create a slight commotion because he wanted to charge his phone and he needed to borrow a charger. So he went around and caused a bit of problem. And Pastor Debbie decided, you know, just give him her charger and say, you can charge the phone anywhere, but don't disturb people. Now, this person we discovered landed up in hospital for some reason. It's from China. So the mother flew in from China to look after the son. And while she was here, she gets talking to other people from China who attends other churches. But they say, you want help, right? Go to this church. Right? Then they, they attend other church in this neighborhood, but they say, go to this church. So this mother shows up, I think, last Thursday. Yeah, last Thursday, this mother shows up. And she comes to church, and Pastor Debbie was there to talk to, her, talk to her. Now, while she was here, it happens that Alpha was starting. So, yeah, why don't you just come for Alpha? She comes to Alpha, Chinese Alpha. She watches one episode of Alpha. At the end of it, she was so moved. They were asking her, do you want to receive Jesus Christ? And she said, yes, I need Jesus. Right? Just like that. Friends, you know, I am flabbergasted. I said, God, what are you doing? We are not doing anything. You are just doing it all. I think two things are happening. First, Seeds that we've been sowing for years, prayers that we've been lifting up to God for years, is coming to fruition. Something is happening, right? And I think also that God is performing something He has not done for a while. We're seeing God move. And I don't want any of us to miss that move. Because I know some of us can miss that move even if you're in this church. And uh, I remember when I was in uh, one of this pastor's summit in Malacca with all the other pastors, someone was sharing about the charismatic renewal, 
right? And he was saying about all these things that were happening in ACS clock tower. Some of you may have heard of that. How in the 1970s, God was moving so powerfully among the students. Now, this one pastor came out after the presentation and said to me casually as we were walking to lunch and said, you know what's funny? I was in ACS, but I didn't know what was happening at all until years later I read it in a book. He was in ACS, but he missed the move of God. So I became concerned. I was thinking to myself, you know, if God is really moving in this church, there are a couple of things I would like to do. First, I would like to just get out of the way. <laughs> God, whatever it is you're doing, just keep doing it because I don't understand anything about it. Just keep doing it because it's a good thing. But I'm also thinking about, God, what is our responsibility to keep the revival going? Because you see, in the Bible, there are some very interesting texts. And one particular one that stands out to me is Leviticus chapter 24, where it says that in this temple, there's a menorah, there's a candle, right? There's a flame. That flame is supposed to be kept burning forever. And the responsibility to keep that flame burning, the flame, I suppose, is an eternal flame, right? But it's the children of Israel have to, every morning, put fuel into the menorah to keep the flame burning. So I was thinking, God, what is it that we must do to keep this fire burning, right? What is it that we can do to keep our own spiritual lives uh, with full of vitality? Because the truth is, many times our own spiritual lives are a little bit stagnant. Okay, I won't say very stagnant, but a little bit stagnant. You don't feel like I haven't grown for a little while. So I went back and pulled up one of these books that I have. It's called The Clock Tower Story. And I wanted to see what were the keys to revival and sustaining their spiritual growth. Now, one of these guys, his name is Tan Kong Chu. He was right there in ACS. And he writes this interesting short essay. And I want to read to you a part of this essay. He says, in closing, I want to recall that during the early phase right through, three things stood out in all the schools, which is where the revival began, that had these experiences, right? Because not all schools had their experiences. He says three things, right? First, Hunger for the Word of God. Hunger for the Word. You see, when we think about revival, we always think about the spiritual gifts. We think about the move of the Holy Spirit. This guy says, three things stand out. The number one thing, hunger for the Word of God. Number two, okay, let's, what do you think number two is? You, you all have been Christian for a long time, right? You know secrets to revival. What's the number two? Hunger for prayer. Right? Whoever shouted that, correct. Right? No prizes though. And the third one, the third thing is, what do you think the third thing is? Yeah, I need you to, to engage with me, lah, right? Because I know some of you still still waking up. Lah. Okay, what do you think is the third thing, the key to prayer? Enthusiasm to share the gospel. Evangelism. Right? So hunger for the word of God, hunger for prayer and enthusiasm to share the gospel. These were the hallmarks of the movement. And then he goes on to explain what happened. What is this hunger for the Word of God? He says, we went into the Word. They did Bible study. They read the Word daily, right? We took it at its face value. I take it to me. Remember, these were students. They're not theologians. They didn't go to Bible school. They don't have all these interpretive frameworks and tools that, you know, today we have. And they certainly didn't have internet. So they read the Bible. They took it at face value. They just said, Lord, if you say so, I'll just do it. And they claimed the promises of, that God has given us. And then the next sentence says, we began to see things happening in our lives. You know, if you want things to happen in your life, yes, we need the Holy Spirit. 
Yes, we need worship. But friends, we need the Word of God. You need to read the Word of God. It is a key to a vital Christian life. And I think Paul knew this when he was writing to his uh, disciple, Timothy, right? He knew that Timothy was going into a very difficult situation. Now, young Timothy had been following Paul around before that. He was a disciple of Paul. And he was, I guess you could say, a traveling partner. So in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10 to 11, he says, You have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I've endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. So, Timothy, you've seen this. You've been walking with me. You've watched all these things that I'm about to go through. And now, Timothy was a good boy. Right? He was a good boy, and he, he followed the Lord. He grew up from a Jewish kind of uh, background. So, so he was committed to this ministry. And then Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, all who desire to follow God, right? all who desire to live godly lives. Let me ask, how many of you desire to live a godly life? Yeah, I, I hope so, right? I, I certainly hope you all desire this. Not just Timothy, not just people who are going full-time. Say, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You'll suffer opposition. The world will not allow you to just grow spiritually. They will always oppose you. There will be things in your life that conspire to take away your growth, to put out the fire of God in your life. You just have to know this. This is not a secret, right? Anybody who wants to be a Christian will face some degree of adversity, some degree of persecution in the case of Timothy. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So not only are you going to face adversity, there's going to be a whole barrage of false doctrines, false information, you know, that are there to mislead you, to try to lead you in some other direction. So here you are, you're trying to climb the hill, right? You're trying to climb the hill because God is up there on the hill. And you're trying to climb, but everyone's coming down from the hill, right? The vast majority of people are going in the opposite direction. It's like trying to get into an MRT in peak hour. The door open, or the whole sea of people coming out, and you're trying to go in, you know. But as you try to move, the whole sea is just carrying you backwards. It's something like that. And Paul is saying that not only do you have this force that's coming against you, there will also be some people who are there telling you, say, hey, don't take this train, wrong train, right? As if it wasn't enough dealing with it. So Paul says, you know, you're going, to, you're going to face some difficulty. And actually, it's going to get harder. And because of that, in verse 3 and 4, it says, you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, not engage in warfare and entangles himself in the affairs of this life, but so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. So he says, Timothy, being a Christian is like being a soldier. It is a fight. You cannot just sit back and hope that you drift into the kingdom of God. You know, some people feel like they can become uh, a Christian by osmosis. You know, osmosis. Uh. Some of you, maybe you are, you know, you're maybe a bit more scientifically inclined. You know how new water is made, right? You put there long enough, the, the good water will just come, the salt will go the other way. And you just sit in church long enough, you become a Christian. Paul says, no, you need to exert some effort. And that's why the last sermon we talk about running to win. There's certain exertion, right? So some of you, if you're not exerting in your life, then what will happen is that you will become stagnant. Right? Your spiritual life will not be vital. Your, the flame will burn dimmer and dimmer. You have to exert yourself. You're a soldier, right? And you're not just a civilian. Okay, so this is all you know, Paul is saying. So what is the answer? 
Timothy, with all this in mind, right, keeping all these challenges, the difficulties in mind, what are some of the things that you can do in order to push forward, right? in order to remain vital? And this, this is the point of this whole verse here in verse 14 and 15. It says, but you, uh, referring to Timothy, you must continue in the things that you have learned and been assured of knowing from whom you have learned them and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Timothy, you must hold fast to what you have learned from basically the Bible. You must hold fast to the Word of God if you want to really simplify it. This is what it says. And of course, Paul is not the only one who says this. The Apostle James also says this. Now, James and Paul, for those of you who have studied the Bible a bit, you'll find that sometimes they can be a little bit at odds. They don't always agree on certain things, right? But this one thing, they agree. In James 1.21, it says, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness, all overflow of weakness, uh, wickedness, anything that distracts you. Receive with meekness the implanted word. What is this word able to do? Which is able to save your souls. So both of them say the word of God. Now, let's think for, for a second here, right? Okay, let's, you have to hold fast to this word that we learn. In fact, um, later on, Paul says, actually earlier on, Paul says in uh, 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who are able to teach others. Why heard? Now, you have to understand the context of this, right? Now, let's do a Bible quiz here, right? Some of you may know this answer because I may have asked it before. What was the first book that was written of the New Testament? Okay, easy one first. Huh? How many books in the New Testament? Ah, 66 is the whole Bible. New Testament is 27, right? 27 in the New Testament. Now, you know, you got the uh, letters of Paul, you got the Gospels, you got, you know, Revelations and all these things. Okay, which one was the first one that was written? Anyone? Genesis, Old Testament, huh? New Testament. Anyone? Luke. Someone says Luke. Okay, good try. Wrong answer. Uh, anyone else? 26 more choices. Okay. Are you ready? First Thessalonians. Hmm? Oh, yeah, I can tell. <laughs> okay, let's... Second book, what do you think? <laughs> Second Thessalonians. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you guys are very smart. Huh? Galatians, right? It's either Galatians, First Thessalonians, or First Thessalonians, Galatians. See, most people didn't realize this. Because the Gospels were not written until quite a bit later. About 50 years later, right? 40, 50 years later. So Paul actually wrote the first books. Of, now, think about this. This means that during the lifetime of Paul and his ministry to Timothy, they didn't have the New Testament. So when Paul says, the Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise unto salvation, what is he talking about? Old Testament. That's why you must read not just the New Testament. Huh? Some people say, I'm New Testament Christian. Then you're not Pauline Christian. Because at that time, they only had the Old Testament. Even Paul's own letters were in the process or being written. They are not yet, they have not yet, I guess, been accepted as scripture at that particular point of time, right? So the Old Testament, very important. That's why we had a whole series on the covenant, right? The covenant series, looking through the Old Testament, trying to understand salvation from the biblical point of view. So he says that, okay, you have heard these things from me, right? You have heard these things, you have read this, you have grown up 
as a Jew, you have read the Old Testament, all these things. Hold on to it. Continue in them. They are able to make you wise for salvation. So the first point I really want to say is that we all need to read the Bible. So Pastor, why do you say that? It's obvious. It is obvious, but it's also obvious that many of us don't read the Bible. Am I right? Okay, don't have to say so. I'll ask to raise hands. Huh? I know. How do you know? Because, you know, Pastor, I'm, I'm not the prophetic type, huh? but this one, I don't need to be prophetic. I know many people don't read the Bible, right? But we need to read the Bible. Because, you see, you may, but Pastor, reading the Bible is very difficult. I know it's not easy, right? But it is a habit that we cultivate. I mean, losing weight is also difficult, right? But you have to do it. You know you have to do it, right? Taking less sugar is also difficult. But you know you have to do it. These are good for you. It's when your mother tells you, I know you don't like vegetables, are good for you. I also don't like vegetables. I still don't like vegetables. That's why I don't live with my mother anymore, right? So, for all of you who are here, you're, you're living in this community, reading the Bible is the key to spiritual vitality. I know there are many things that are important. Listening to podcasts, listening to worship songs, you know, reading one or two verses. These are nice, but you need to read and know the Bible. That's what the Bible says. They are able to make you wise unto salvation. So the first thing that Paul tells uh, Timothy is that, you know, to keep this thing going, in the face of all these challenges, how to keep your fire burning, how to keep the revival in your heart going, read the Word of God. Hold on to it. Hold fast in it. That's the first thing I want to encourage you. So what should you read? I want to recommend that, well, first of all, uh, you know, Pastor, which translation is the best translation? A lot of people ask me this question. First, there's no best translation, right? Uh, they are all, you know, sometimes better in one place and they are different in other places. Um, and there are some terrible translations that I don't recommend, right? Don't use uh, the Passion Translation, for instance, uh, for your Bible. These are mostly devotional commentaries. People read the Bible, interpret it, but it's not the original word. They already kind of changed it a little bit. Even the message, right? The message is it's useful, but it's not the Bible, right? So you want to read the Bible, just read something a bit more traditional. Uh, New King James, you know, New American Standard, ESV is a, one of the very good modern translations. So it's pretty good, right? As good as NKJ and NAS in some cases, more modern. And therefore, they have more up-to-date uh, manuscripts. So that's not bad. Uh, NRSV is also okay. And for those of you who want the NIV, uh, the nearly inspired version, also can, right? These are all... But the best Bible for you is the one that you read. Uh. You understand? I mean, it's no good. Oh, my shelf got all this, but you never read it. You just put it out there for decoration. The best Bible is the one that you read. I also often recommend people read actual Bible so that they can mark it. But I understand, many of you today, uh, you know, you're commuting, you don't read the Bible in the bus, on the train. I think that is helpful. It's quite difficult to study the Bible deeply when you are on the bus or on the train, Right? So not only do you want to just read the Bible on the way, because, you know, if I were to really read the Bible on the bus or the train, I would be like, oh, this is really interesting. I'm going to miss my stop, right? So if you really want to get into the Word, you really get in what Conchu uh, uh, says, we went into the Word, I think it's going to be hard to get into the Word on a bus because you're always looking up and stop coming, right? Uh, For God so loved the Next stop, ting tong, okay. The world that he gave his only begotten, oh, somebody wants to sit down, okay. You know what I mean? You, it's going to be hard. So you need to put aside time to read the word, just as you put aside time to do all the other important things in your life, right? So 
read the Word, put aside time. And the third thing I want to recommend about this is use a reading plan. Use a reading plan. Right? That's, people tell you read this. If you read two chapters of the Bible a day, and two chapters is actually not very long. Right? Some, some books of the Bible is only one chapter. The whole Bible, uh, the whole book is just one chapter. So two chapters is already quite, uh, uh, quite quickly you get through this. Now, if you read that two chapters a day, you get through the whole Bible in one year. Think about that. Just two a day. And if you miss a few times, never mind, one and a half years, two years, still good. Pretty good, right? So why should you not just read the Bible uh, without a plan? Many of us, being charismatics, this is how we read the Bible. You wake up in the morning, you stretch. Yeah, I think, you know, I want to start reading the Bible. So you take out your Bible. Lord, help me. And then you just, okay. Well, okay, it's the Psalms. So today I'm going to read Psalms, right? You know, Psalms, you know, maybe 22 verse 3, you know, Lord uh, inhabits the praises of his people. And, okay, that's right. Praise the Lord. Done my Bible reading. for Tomorrow you wake up, ah, ah Lord, I want to continue reading the Bible. Jesus says, you know, uh, Paul says we must continue. You pick up the Bible. Oh, today is a New Testament, right? Now, you keep doing this, ah, you, first of all, you're going to be like in a mess, ah. See, it's like one day eat west, one day eat west, you know. It's kind of hard. Sometimes my wife asks me, you know, while I'm eating uh, maybe rice, hey, do you want ice cream? It cannot, for me, cannot mix one. Uh, salty, savory, and dessert stuff, can, must eat separately one. Okay, some of us, when you read the Bible, like this, actually a lot of us read the Bible in this way. Some kind of haphazard way, right? You pick out the Bible, or you see a verse, and you just kind of randomly read. The difficulty of doing that is you can never cover the Bible, right? I mean, unless your aim is so soon, uh, every day you open one, well, next chapter already, right? Secondly, there are some parts of the Bible that are difficult to read. They are difficult to read. I mean, you get to Leviticus, you get to Numbers, and you get to this whole long list of generations, you know. And, uh, you know, maybe 27,000 from this tribe whose children beget, there are 5,000 from that particular tribe and 7,000 from that. Somewhere in the thousands, uh, you're lost already. It's just like, give up already. Uh. And then, the next day you wake up, you don't pick up the Bible anymore. Because you know thousands of things already, right? So when you read like this, you're going to give up. And then when you continue, where are you going to start? So maybe after two weeks uh, of giving up, because once you give up, you tend to give up for a while. Then you feel guilty, right? You say, you know what, I need to get back to reading the Bible. So you pick up the Bible again. You start from Genesis again, right? So as a, every time you stop, wherever it is, you start again from Genesis because you forgot where you start, started, right? As a result, after 10 years of being Christian, you know Genesis 1 very well. Because you keep restarting to that, okay? But if you have a reading program, what you do is you read it through systematically, you can make notes, and then when you finish, you continue from wherever you stop. Lah. That way you can keep going, right? That's, that's an important thing. Also, sometimes we, as Anglicans, we have this thing called the lectionary, right? So there are systematic daily readings, there are thematic. Thematic, a reading plans are also useful because when you read the Bible, sometimes you know you, you have to understand the themes. You know, when I was very young, I wanted to read the Bible. You pick up the Bible, they say start with the Gospels, right? Okay, open up the Gospel of Matthew, read through 28 chapters. Oh, very interesting. Jesus did all these wonderful things. A little bit long, but you know, interesting. You finish with Matthew, you're very happy about yourself, you know, kind of got yourself going. Now you are reading the Gospel of Mark. All right, Mark, very short. 16 chapters only. As you go through Mark, you start to get this funny feeling. Hey, just like I read this before. How come all the stories? I thought, didn't I just read this, right? 
But in spite of that, because it's very short, you somehow get through it. And now you come to Luke. You open up Luke. Eh, it's the same thing again. And then you stop reading. Uh, okay, that's the part of the problem. When you don't have some guide in your reading. So what I'm simply saying is that you, I'm not just talking about occasional casual reading. Oh, Pastor, today I read the scripture because, you know, on TikTok, uh, there's this channel that gives you a verse every day. Uh. That's not reading the Bible. Uh. That's TikToking the Bible. Okay? So I'm talking about actually reading through the Bible so that you gain an understanding. I know this is difficult. All the bookshops in Singapore have closed today. Uh. Only Kinokuniya left, right? I mean, one or two small ones. Because people don't like to read anything, much less the Bible. But if you want to grow in Christ, I want to encourage you, read the Bible. Amen? So the first thing, you need to continue in the Word. You need to read the Bible. Second thing, right? In uh, one, uh, one chapter, one, James chapter 1, verse 21, early on we read, it says, slide number 8, right? Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word. What does this receive with meekness mean? You know, I mean, okay, we just read the word. It says receive. What does it mean? It means when you read the Bible, you must be very meek, you know, very timid. Yes, open the Bible slowly, read slowly. That's not what it means, right? What it means is actually explained to us just a little bit further down. The next verse, it says, be doers of the word. Don't just read the word, obey the word, right? Obey the word, fulfill the word. So it says, I'm going to read to you verse 22 to 25. Don't just be doers of the word, right? And uh, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he is. But he who looks into the perfect law, again, that's the, that's the Old Testament, the law of liberty, and continues, same as what Paul was saying before, right? Continue in it. And it's not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word. This one will be blessed in what he does. So this is the next step. Reading the Bible is a great start, but you're not blessed in just reading the Word. Of course, there, I think there's some blessing, but James is saying that when you go beyond just reading and you start doing it, there's a blessing. You know, yesterday night, not yesterday night, Friday night, we had a meeting with all the young adults in church. Very interesting, right? Great talk. But after the meeting, very interesting, there was one particular young adult who came up to myself and Pastor Debbie, who happened to be there, and she asked do you eat vegetables? My answer straight away, flat out, no. Right? I, I don't do vegetables, right? I'm a kind of carnivore sort of person. So, and then she asked Pastor Debbie, Pastor Debbie, do you eat vegetables? Uh, Debbie happily said, yeah, of course I do eat vegetables. So she pulls out from her bank a ziplock, and inside the ziplock was a bunch of small vegetables. Now, please don't ask me what kind of vegetables, right? But they were clearly vegetables, got green colour, got stock and leaves and all these things, right? And she gave it to Pastor Damien, she says this, the Bible says that we should give our first fruits. And you know, I have, a, I have this, she and her husband, they grow these plants. This was their first fruits. I was thinking, this girl is impressive, right? She read the Bible. She understands what the Bible says, but she didn't just read the Bible. She says that, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to take it at face value. And she says, you know, well, I want to give this to the church as the first fruits. So, I, I suppose sometime this week, 
Debbie will be eating that first fruits on behalf of God, right? <laughs> but what does the Bible say? This one, the person who does it, will be blessed in doing so. Many people are not blessed because they just don't get it, right? So what must you do? Read the Bible. But while you're reading the Bible, you're also asking yourself, you know what must I do? What can I do? And when you do so, you will be blessed. Amen? Are you all guys still with me? A bit long, huh? but I'll try and finish it quickly. Alright, so you need to continue, read the Bible. Read, uh, you need to do the Word. That's why be implanted in the Word that is implanted in you. Be immersed in the Word. But there's a third thing that Paul tells Timothy to do, right? He says in uh, chapter 4, verse 1 to 2, slide 10. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearance and His kingdom, preach the word. Right? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort, and with all long suffering and teaching. Paul knew that after you do all these things, you have a responsibility to share the word with other people. But these are sequential. Lah. If you don't read the word, how you share the word, right? You don't even know. If you don't practice the word, how you sell it? It's like someone's trying to sell you, you know, you go to the car salesman, right? Hey, you got to buy this Honda. This Honda really good, you know, mileage, uh, very petrol efficient and all that. And now we've got discount and all that. Then you go out and you see in the car park, huh? the salesman is driving Toyota. Then you'll be thinking, scratching your head, this is a boy, is it for real or not, right? If you are, you are telling me this car is so good, why are you driving some other car? Same thing. You can't really preach the word if you don't practice the word, right? So, here now, he says, go and preach the word. And why does he have to say that? Because he says, for a time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. People don't want to hear the gospel. They don't want to hear about God. There's a resistance in our culture, in our world, against the word of God. And there's a real pressure for Christians to keep our mouth shut. Mind your own business. Keep your faith to yourself. Don't bother other people, right? Other people, let them do what they want. You want to believe Jesus? You believe Jesus. Don't bring it to other people. But Romans 1.16 says that we should not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then also for the Greek, right? So we need to share the gospel. But... Sharing the gospel does not mean that we need to be obnoxious about it. Don't go and uh, be... You know, I know many of us are very zealous and very, we feel very... There's a certain urgency. But sometimes in our urgency, we are not very wise in how we share the gospel. You know, there was many years ago when Alpha started, I heard this particular complaint. This uh, Alpha, first time running in the church and, you know, I mean, it was very exciting because usually the first time you have a lot of guests. And this... Christian who was serving in Alpha was so excited to see so many non-Christians. Now, Alpha, as you know, starts with food, right? They have their buffet and these people were non-Christians, friends, guests. They were at the buffet taking the curry, taking whatever it is. This guy comes right at the buffet. Hey, are you a Christian or not? You must believe Jesus, you know? Jesus coming back again soon. Now, I think after this, it's very hard to eat the food, you know? Because they, they are not helped to understand what we are talking about. So when we say we want to preach the word, I don't mean just throw the whole Christian culture at people. I mean help them to understand why this is so important. right? Help them to understand our own struggles and how through our own struggles, your testimony in other words. So preach the word. Three things. So in closing, I just want to 
Yeah, actually, I've got a whole more section. I'm going to kind of skip it, uh, most of it. But there's a story in the Old Testament about how these things happen, right? One of the greatest revivals in the Old Testament is the revival under King Josiah. King Josiah was a very young man, around eight or nine years old, when he became king of Israel, uh, king of Judah. And he was used by God to bring about the greatest revival, the greatest, greatest cause correction to a nation that was already going, uh, all right, going wayward, right? So when he was very young, he already loved God. Someone told him about the basics of faith, and he loved God with all his heart, but he didn't know the word because, believe it or not, the whole nation lost the word of God. They lost the word of God, amazingly, right? So in his heart, he was moved by God to maybe renovate the temple. Now, I have to tell you, at those, those days, the temple wasn't just the temple to God. It was a temple to Baal, the temple to Asherah. And in the temple, there are all these other idols. You know, I mean, it's like one of those weird... Imagine you came to church, uh, and then there's some, you know, statue of... Uh, yesterday, I couldn't mention some religion. I, sh- I shouldn't mention any religion. But imagine you came to church. Eh, is this a church or not? You know, how come there are all these other idols in church? So, in the temple those days, that was what happened. Now, one day, while they're renovating, one of his assistants went into the treasury, and lo and behold, in the treasury, they discover a copy of the book of the law. Scholars believe this is Deuteronomy. So here's what happens. In verse uh, 2, 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 2, the king went up to the house of the Lord, all the men of Judah with him, inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests, the prophets, and all the people, both great and small, and in the in and he read the king read in their hearing the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the house of the Lord. The king reads the word. Now, not only does he have the movement of the spirit in his heart, he knows exactly what God wants to do. And he goes on a burning rampage. Right? He goes in a temple, he says that. He brought out from the temple the articles that were made for Baal, for Asherah. These were all in the temple of God, right? He took it all out and it says in verse 6 that he burned it in the book Kidron. He ground it to ashes and he threw the ashes onto the graves. Three things. He burned it, he ground it, and he threw the ashes. And later on in verse 12, he, does, he goes elsewhere. He goes to the palace. In the palace, there were also idols everywhere. This is Judah. Let's think about this, right? Somehow the nation had gone so astray that all these idolatrous practices have infiltrated their lives. So now he goes into the, the palaces. The Bible says in verse 12, the king broke down, he pulverized there those idols, and he threw their dust into the book Kidron. In verse 15, he goes, now he goes beyond the palaces, he goes all the way down to Bethel. And there was a high place, there was a temple that uh, Jeroboam built. He goes there, he took all the altars down, he took the altar that was not supposed to be there. The Bible says he burned it, he crushed it to powder, and he burned the wooden image. When I read this, I was very curious. Why does he always do these three things, right? He burns it or he destroys it, and then he grounds it to dust, you know, pulverizes it, and then he throws. At first, I thought it just happened only, right? But when I read through the whole thing, I realized that he's always doing these three things. I was asking myself, why did he do it? And I decided, maybe it was something he read. So you go back, and guess what? In Exodus chapter 32, when Moses came down from the mountain and saw that the children of Israel had built the golden calf, right? What he did was, 
verse 20, Moses took the calf that they made, he burned it in fire, he ground it into powder, and he scattered it on the water. Then I realized, you know, I know what happened now. Josiah, Holy Spirit was moving in his heart. He didn't know how to follow God, but he, he knew that something was happening. And then he started reading the Word of God, right? He read it in front of everybody. He read it and now he realizes, oh, that is what God wants me to do. And he does it. He goes on and does it. And you know what? He thinks to my, himself that, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it the way Moses did it. I'm going to do it the way the Bible says to do it. He does it and lo and behold, the greatest revival came to Israel. I think that's just one small interesting example of how the Word of God is supposed to function in our lives. When we say the Word and the Spirit, I don't simply mean that, you know, when you read, oh, for God so loved the world, and then goosebumps run up and down your neck. Uh. That one is probably aircon to cold, right? The movement of the Holy Spirit is not just to, to cause you to have some feelings. It's supposed to make you obey. When you read it, you feel convicted and you feel, you know what, I need to do this. That is the Spirit. The Word and the Spirit. And these are the keys to revival. Amen? Amen. Let's close our eyes and pray. Lord, we want to thank You for all that You're doing in our midst. We thank You for the movement of the Spirit. People coming to the Lord in just amazing ways that some of us couldn't even, couldn't even plan if we wanted to. We thank You that there are miracles happening. People are getting healed amazingly. You are intervening in lives. But Lord, in all of these, Lord, we want to pray that you keep our fire burning. And today we pray that you help each one of us, that the Spirit will move us to continue and hold fast to the Word that you've given us, to read the Bible. Lord, we know it may not feel very conducive to us or even convenient. But God, we want to believe by faith that when we do it as you say, the one who does it will be blessed. So bless us, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we ask and we pray. Amen.